Hi, this is Colin Blundstone from The Zombies. Hiya, Rod Argent here from The Zombies. And Argent, uh, if you go way back. And you're listening to Dave and Shane from Rock of Nations. Yeah! I'm not quite sure what the restrictions are in, in America at the moment, but there are still restrictions here, but um, they, they're getting looser and looser all the time. So life has nearly gone back to as it was before, which is absolutely brilliant. Obviously, we're going to be um, rehearsing in the near future because we're also recording an album as well at the moment. So there's lots to keep us busy. And of course, we're really looking forward to the live broadcast from Abbey Road on September the 18th. I mean, that's going to be brilliant. We did loads of, of recording at Abbey Road. Obviously, we did the Odyssey and Oracle album, um, right. which, which was, uh, which was I, I think that was our first experience, Cole, wasn't it, of Abbey Road? Yes. Um, and then after that, um, Chris White, the bass player in the original band, and myself, uh, produced an album for Colin called One Year There. And then I, I, uh, I produced a lot of the Argent stuff there, which um, including Hold Your Head Up, you know, and all those things. Yeah. Um, so we've got a real history with Abbey Road, but we were so knocked out that they really uh, wanted us to do this. They asked us to do this live concert. And it, it's a bit scary because we haven't actually, we won't have played for 16 months when we actually, when we actually turn up you know, for the date. So we're, we're trying to organise a couple of rehearsals at the moment, aren't we? Absolutely. The last time we played was in Spain in December 2019. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I hope I recognise the rest of the band when we get together. <laughs> <laughs> you probably won't now, Cole. No. <laughs> it's amazing if you have, you know, one hit that can symbolise an era. You have multiple in, in this case. What What's that part of it like to have, you know, a song like She's Not There and, and Time of the Season just be these instant reminders of an era. You know, not just what people may feel, but it, it's a whole era, it's a whole experience and probably one of the greatest eras of, I think, British rock and rock in general. Well, I, I think, think it's, it's, sorry, Cole. I was just gonna say, I think it's absolutely brilliant that, um, you know, we can play those two songs and many others as well, all around the world. And people, they, people know those songs and they mean something to people and also as you rightly said they conjure up a time and that's been very much to our advantage because especially time of the season has been used time and time again in films to and it's usually to illustrate a, a, a time you know a, a year specific year and uh, actually the new Disney film Cruella uh, features time of the season and, and it, it just happens over and over again. Um, it's also been used for a, a, quite a big video over here for uh, a very famous football team that's, that's, that's just happened. Uh, Chelsea have just won the European Cup. It's really big news over here. And their new kit is, is being advertised online. And they've used the whole of, of time of the season to, to put the... Uh, the um, the musical background to their video, which is, is fantastic for us. And it helps us reach a whole new strata of the population who are perhaps primarily interested in football or soccer, as you would say, and might not be familiar with what we do. But because they've used the, 
the music to advertise the new Chelsea strip. Um, we're, we're reaching more people than ever. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, it's, also, it's also great to see those young footballers, fantastically young, talented footballers, you know, like Mason Mount and the other guys in the, in the Chelsea team, all grooving to it on the video. And, and you know, that, that's, that's really <laughs> lovely. But also, um, uh, one thing that occurred to me when you were talking then was the film Awakenings. Um, yeah. it, it was used for when the people that had the sleeping, um, that had the flu and the sort of uh, sleeping sickness thing that happened with the 1917 flu um, were brought back to ordinary life for a couple of weeks by a scientist called Oliver Sacks. Um, and Randy Newman chose the music for that film, and he chose a song that typified the whole of, the, uh, of that period in the 60s, which, which was around the late 60s. Um, and he chose Time the Season. And, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, that's really just expanding on what Colin said, really. It's fantastic to get people to use that to illustrate a focal point. It really is. Yeah. I mean, Odyssey and Oracle, for me and a lot of other people, is one of the best albums ever made. Did you guys go into this? Um, and we also have another person asking, Dave Mann from Washington, D.C. asked, did you know that this album was something special when you laid this down in the studio? Did you guys kind of know that you just created a masterpiece? I don't think so, personally. Also, I think we probably remember this period a little bit differently. But what I remember at the, at the end of the album was believing that that was the best we could possibly do. We that, did feel that. Mm. Yeah, that was my overriding feeling. That's the best we can possibly do. And when um, it wasn't really uh, commercially successful, it, it was a bit of a heartbreaker really. And in a way, I mean, in fact, we'd already broken up before the album was released, but that was a time when singles were all important. And we released a single from the album in the UK. And I think we released a Carousel 44, wasn't it, Rod? We did, that was the first one in the UK, yeah. Yeah, and it didn't do anything. And it just seemed, this is the best we could possibly do. It's, it's not getting any reaction. And I think that that was one of the main reasons why the band finished. There were, there were probably other reasons as well. And it's just funny because the album has just grown sort of on its own. No one's been promoting it. No one's been marketing it. It can only be word of mouth. And sort of about five years later, it was obvious that people were getting to know this album. 10 and 15 years later, it was, you know, it was becoming quite a hot item. Yeah. Um, by now, but is it 50 years later or something like that? It is thought of as, you know, a very important piece of work. I, I always say to Rod, I just hope they're not going to wait 50 years to recognise the albums that we're recording <laughs> now because we're going to be around. <laughs> Sorry, Rod, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I'll be around, but you might not be. Not <laughs> um, but, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, leading up to Odyssey and Oracle, um, we were pretty pissed off with how our, recent singles have been sounding. Um, and they were produced by a, a great musician, a lovely guy, but from really a previous era. Um, and they weren't giving the feeling that Chris and I, as, as the two writers in the band, wanted to bring forward on, on, onto the 
uh, onto the singles. And in fact, time and time again, I remember we did a cover of My Girl Cole because when it was a hit in the States and, and, and not here, and I remember thinking how good that sounded. But while we were on the, on the way to the studio, um, the Otis Redding version came out, didn't it? Um, so, you know, so that, that, that scuppered that. Um, but we did a version of, of the little Anthony song, Going Out of My Head, for instance, and then lots of our own songs, but they never came off in the way that we wanted them to. And our demos were better than the, than the, the final record. And, and, and this was driving us crazy. So Chris and I broke off the relationship with the producer, um, who was fine once we'd done that. Um, and we thought we'd got to make an album ourselves. And if it's in the air at all that the band might break up, then um, we have to get some of our own songs down in such a way that we hear them. And we felt we did that. Um, and it was all recorded very quickly uh, in terms of each session was only about three hours long. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and in fact, the very first session we did, um, I think we recorded two songs in the three hours. We've just seen the, the, the sheets, the worksheets from Abbey Road. And um, it was all done very quickly because we didn't have that much money, but we were really knocked out that we felt that, yes, this is how we wrote the song. This is how it should sound. And, and so we were really very, very happy to have done it. We didn't know if it was going to be successful, and then when the first single wasn't successful, we broke up. But then, of course, a year and a half later, it became number one in Cashbox again, number two or three in Billboard, I think. Um, and um, it was a number one hit in many places around the world, actually. But not, instead of the poor old UK, <laughs> as usual. There's never doing. been a hit here. Time of the season, there's never been a hit in the no. UK. Never. No. Will, this, will this remix do it, do you think? This we could do. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of Chelsea fans, so um, they might be really interested in it. You know, so well, fingers crossed. We'll see. Those days in the studio. I mean, what talk about the hunger? You, I mean, that young bands feel. I mean, you could. I imagine certainly relate to that back in those days. I mean, you know, you go into a studio, especially something like Abbey Road and Studio Two, and it's like okay, we've got to do this. I mean, that's what I, I, I'm just trying to imagine what is going through your mind at the time, you know? I mean, right, Shane? I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a full, sorry, it was a fulfillment of a fantasy. And, and, you know, I remember first hearing Elvis Presley when I was 11. And from that moment, this guy who seemed to come from a different universe, I thought, I've got to be part of this rock and roll. These are early rock and roll things that he was doing. And, and the way he was, I didn't know it at the time, the way he was grabbing black music um, and, and melding it with country a little bit, but provided something with real soul, which was much more than uh, anything that was around at that time. And then eight years later, we went in the studio and we produced a record that we later learned that Elvis had on his jukebox, you know, so it was like a turnaround and, 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 I know it's called the British Invasion, and, and it, in a sense, I guess that's what it was. Um, but we thought all the people over there would hate us, you know, for copying American music. But we didn't realise at the time um, that once we put it through the English filter, it came back as something different. And it yeah. did come back as something different. I mean, when I listen to She's Not There Now, it doesn't sound like anything else 
that I can think of that was around. Um, and, 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 you know, so we did get something of our own, but we were incredibly passionate about it. Um, it's, I mean, it's certainly, personally speaking, it's all I ever wanted to do. And I must say, you know, that when we made the, our last album was called Still Got That Hunger. And, and we still get the, the thing that excites us. I mean, it's fantastic getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's wonderful. And I'm not belittling that at all. But really what excites us is when Colin comes around to my place, for instance, and we first start um, working on a song together. Uh, and, and I can hear that it's suiting Colin. And Colin gets excited. Then we take it to the band. Um, and, and you see it working in front of you. It's still like no other feeling in the world. Um, and, and that feeling, I certainly feel, is, is, um, is just as genuine and as strong now as it was when we started. But, but and then when you're on stage, you know, and I, I mentioned something about playing to um, some young, younger people in the audience. Um, and sometimes when you get all that energy back from the auditorium, it, honestly, it feels like being at 18 again. There's no difference. For that time you're on stage, there is absolutely no difference. You feel a huge amount of energy going out and coming back at you. And what other profession can you say that about? I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything. So it's, a, you know, you, I think we're blessed to be able to still make a living in this business because we still get, in our own way, we still get as much out of it. Yeah! Yeah!